Hi everybody, welcome back to Lost Floors Church. I'm Chris, I'm the pastor here, and we are continuing to talk about Abraham and his descendants and just how this line still impacts us today. Uh, last week we talked more about Jacob, and Jacob was pretty much a deceiver, a trickster. Um, he tricked his own father and his brother so that he would get the birthright, that he'd get his dad's blessings. He went to see his uncle, Laban, and ends up marrying two of his daughters, and then he does it again, tricks Laban, becomes very wealthy off of Laban's sheep, and then he runs away from Laban. And in the process of running away, he runs into his brother, Esau. And if you remember from a few weeks ago, Esau wanted nothing more than Jacob to be dead. <laughs> and so Jacob was very disturbed, very worried when he ran into Esau, and he has this struggle, this wrestling match with God. And he walks away from that struggle with God with an injury and a blessing. And we'll see today, it really, it really changed who Jacob was. I believe he walked away from that a different man. Him and Esau made peace. And that leads us to today where Jacob is back in his homeland where he grew up and in Canaan. And God tells him to go to Bethel. Bethel is where Jacob had his dream after he had run away from his home, after he had tricked his dad and his brother. He had the dream about the stairway to heaven. And this was a place that God reminded him of the covenant promise. And so I'm going to read to you what it says in Genesis 35. And today we're going to be looking at Genesis 35 through 37. But Genesis 35, 1 through 3 says this. Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob told everyone in the household, get rid of all your pagan idols, purify yourselves, and put on clean clothing. We are now going to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered my prayers when I was in distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. I believe when you read through Jacob's story, this is the first time that he seems, he seems interested in God. I, I feel like up until this point, it was all about Jacob. And this is the first time he says, okay, let's get rid of the idols. Remember, Rachel stole the idols from her dad's house, and he didn't do anything about it. Just bring them on. And, and so here he's saying, throw this stuff away. We are going to serve God. God has been with me even though I have not been the best. And, and so you see Jacob here honoring God. And it's not just for his benefit this time. It's because he wants to honor God. And now, a few other things happen. Rachel, his favorite wife, dies during childbirth to their 12th son, Benjamin. And his father, Isaac, passes away. And then in Genesis 36, really the only thing that happens in Genesis 36 is we see Esau's descendants. Remember, Esau's Jacob's brother. They didn't like each other, but now they're at least at peace. Well, Jacob's descendants basically come through Ishmael, which was Jacob's son uh, through his, his wife's servant. And they sent him away. Remember, Hagar and Ishmael got sent away. So Esau marries one of Ishmael's descendants. And they have 
kids, and, and they have basically become a great nation called the Edomites. Interestingly enough, eventually, even though Esau and Jacob are at somewhat peace now, the Edomites become the Israelites' enemies. And we find Saul and David actually have to defeat the Edomites. But, but eventually, the Edomites become allies with King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and they are the ones accused of destroying the first temple. I, it's just ironic to me. It, it, these, these families, and yet there's these breaks and these cracks, and eventually they become enemies. But here we go. Now we go back to Jacob and his family in chapter 37. And, and remember, this is the line that began with Abraham, and it goes all the way to Jesus. And so this line it continues to impact us today. Genesis chapter 37 begins like this. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. So he left Bethel, he's back in Canaan, and, and Canaan is the promised land. Uh, that is the place that God promised Abram, this is the land where you are going to become a great nation. Now we are still hundreds of years away from the nation of Israel, who, what is Jacob's new name, remember? And so the nation of Israel were hundreds of years from that. But here Jacob is in the promised land. Now we're going to look at Genesis 17 too. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, just a reminder that Zilpah and, and Bilhah were servants that jo or Jacob's wives gave him, and he had kids with the servants. And so if we read between the lines here, I think what we can see is that these brothers probably weren't super fond of Joseph. Joseph tended to be probably the favorite. He was born of Rachel, who passed away during childbirth, and, and yet they all knew that Rachel was the favorite wife. And here Joseph is telling his dad, basically tattling and saying some things that, that about his brothers, that they weren't good people. And so you can see already some tension building here. Not the best of situations, right? Well, now we go to uh, 37.3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. So obviously, Jacob is the favorite. I mean, it just says it. And so he has this robe made for Joseph. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the covenant and part of the covenant is the exchange of robes. It wasn't just, hey, here's a nice shirt you can wear every once in a while. A robe is something they wore every day. And that robe identified who they were. And so he had this robe made. It's beautiful, colorful robe that basically in a lot of ways to his brothers, to the rest of the family, was almost like putting a crown on Joseph's head and saying, this is the best one. If you can imagine Christmas morning, and you're sitting around with all your siblings, and you're opening socks and underwear, and you're trying to smile, and go, oh, thanks, I really needed socks and underwear, and then 
It gets to your brother, who you always had the suspicion that he was the favorite, and he opens up this box and it's keys to a brand new car that's sitting out in the driveway. And you go and you look and it's this brand new BMW and it's beautiful and, and it's colorful and, and your brother's so excited and you're like, <laughs> yeah, you're not very exciting. So this robe, every time they saw Joseph, he was wearing that robe. Every time they saw Joseph, he's wearing the crown. Look, I'm the favorite. I'm the king of the family or the, or the prince of the family. And, and now verse four. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. They literally despised him. And not just behind his back, they said mean things straight to his face. So Joseph knew full well that his brothers hated him. And then Joseph begins to have these dreams. And if you can imagine all the family sitting around at the breakfast table before they go to work and they're eating their cereal and, and just kind of distant conversations going on. And, and here comes Joseph with his beautiful robe on. He comes prancing in and he sits down and goes, hey guys, you won't believe this. I had this amazing dream last night. And, and the brothers hardly even give him notice. They, they don't like him and he knows they don't like him. But Joseph, he tells the dream anyway, and his brothers are all rolling their eyes at him, but he goes on, and he tells them he has this dream about them tying these bundles of grain, like, like wheat shocks, and so you can imagine these, these piles of grain, and, and there's a tie around them, so they're out doing that, and then all of a sudden in the dream, these, these bundles of grain stand up. And, and they all start walking. There's 12 bundles, and, and they, start, they start walking, and one bundle's in the middle, and the other 11 bundles bow down to Joseph's bundle. And he's telling his brothers this. And, and you don't think that's going to make them mad? Joseph knows they don't like him. There's a little bit of arrogance here, right? Here's what it says in verse 8. His brothers responded, So you think you'll be our king, do you? You actually think you will reign over us. And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about him. So he wasn't just telling them once, he was talking about his dreams. Like, look at me, these dreams are gonna come true. <laughs> and you'd think, you'd think he'd use some common sense. He's pestering, he's almost annoying his brothers. It almost seems on purpose because then he has another dream. And the next dream, it goes even farther. Now, he tells the family who doesn't want to hear it, hey, I had a dream about the sun and the moon and 11 stars. So you have the sun and the moon and 11 stars who represent, the sun and the moon are representing mom and dad. And the 11 stars are, guess who? The 11 brothers who hate Joseph. And Joseph says, guess what? They're all bowing down to me. They're all bowing to me. And the brothers had had enough. They're done with Joseph. And even dad has to go, hey, buddy, let's, let's calm down with these dreams. No one wants to hear them. Now, the brothers hate him. But dad's secretly going, what do these dreams mean? Because he has some extreme love and some favoritism for his son, Joseph. And he thinks that Joseph has some unique gifts and abilities. He's different than his brothers. And so now we continue the story. 
it basically dad um, Jacob or now the name Israel he sends his sons out to work or they, they do work he doesn't have to send them out and they're out working they're tending sheep and they're all together most of them are together and they they take the sheep all over to different regions and they have to go where the grass is and they haven't been back for a long time and so dad sends Joseph the favorite with his big colorful robe on out to check on him and you know that's not a great situation but Joseph goes and he spends days looking for him. First, he, first, Joseph goes to Shechem, where they were supposed to be, and they're not there. And someone there says, oh yeah, I think your brothers, I think they went on to Dothan. And so as they're heading, as he's heading to Dothan, I can't help but to imagine, is there some concern you're going out here to check on your brothers who hate you, or is just enough arrogance that, hey, I'm Joseph. I can do whatever I want. And so while he's still a long ways off, here comes Joseph prancing up in his robe. And here's what happens in verses 18 and through 20 in chapter 37. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We will tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. So now this story takes a true crime drama turn, right? Uh, they go from, hey, we don't like our brother. We're tired of him telling us about his dreams. We're tired of him being the favorite. We're tired of him walking around with his stupid robe on. But now they want to literally kill him. These brothers are not good people. Now, Reuben tries to talk him down and say, hey, guys, let's not kill him. Let's not do that. Uh, but Reuben's idea is they'll throw him in a sister and I'll come back and rescue him later, trying to be a good big brother. But, but here's Joseph taunting his coat, and now they, are in a, they tear it off of him. They throw him in the cistern, and then they sit down to eat lunch. And when they sit down to eat lunch, they see some camels and, and basically a group of people, and they're traders that are coming towards them. And as they get closer, Judah gets this idea, instead of killing him, because, you know, he is our brother. Let's not be so cold-hearted. Let's sell him to these people. And so these people, they're going to Egypt. And so they literally, they sell Joseph to these people. And it says that they are Ishmaelites. And what's interesting and significant about that, I've never caught this before, they're selling Joseph to their blood relatives. These are descendants of Ishmael. You remember Abraham's son, Ishmael. These are descendants of Ishmael. This is the Ishmaelites. So they sell Joseph to basically their cousins, distant relatives, and they take him to Egypt. And here's the other thing that I never really caught on to here. And they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Kind of a little bit of tie to Jesus there. You know, Judas actually sells Jesus out, sells him out, betrays him, just like Judah does to Joseph, sells him for 20 pieces of silver. And, and then they take him, they're in Dothan, and they take him all the way to Egypt, which in my mind, honestly, I always thought, hey, it's like a, you know, 20, 
30 miles away to Egypt. It's, it's a couple of days walk. It's a, it's a day's walk, whatever it is. But it's over 300 miles. It'd be like going from here in Carlsbad to Las Vegas. That's where he's taking him. I mean, to a whole nother world in that day and time, all the way to Egypt. It's not like, hey, he wasn't that far away. He is a long ways away. And now Joseph, the one with these big, big dreams, has big, big problems. He's not dead, but he is now a slave. And meanwhile, his brothers, they begin to cover their tracks. And they take the robe and they tear it up and they kill an animal and put animal blood on it. And they go back and they tell their dad, hey, bad news, Joseph got eaten by an animal. Now, there's no way they'd get away with this today in a true crime drama, right? The DNA evidence, things don't add up, crime scenes tampered with, all those things. I watch enough to kind of know that they wouldn't get away with it today. But Jacob's crushed. All he knows is that his son is, is gone. He, he's, he's dead. And so here's what it says in Genesis 37, 34, and 35. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my, dr my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to Jacob. He is distraught. His, his son, honestly, obviously it says it, his favorite son, born to his favorite wife, is now gone. As far as he knows, he's, he's dead. He had dreams for Joseph. He knew Joseph was different. He had dreams for him. And, and there was something different about Joseph. I mean, there was something about him that was going to be great, his dad seemed to think. And I think Joseph thought that too. Joseph seemed different, especially compared to his brothers. I mean, think about it. His brothers wanted to kill him. His brother, Levi and Simeon, in a previous chapter, chapter 34, they slaughtered an entire town. They went and killed all the men and, and, and plundered the place. I mean, these weren't good people. Reuben, the oldest, who was trying to be somewhat decent to Joseph, had an affair with basically one of the other moms, <laughs> a stepbrother's mom. I mean, that's mm, this is wrong, right? I mean, these aren't good people. Joseph, there was something different about him. You know what? In the past, I, when I've preached about Joseph, I, I've used this verse from Jeremiah, and it says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Isn't that interesting? I, I feel like you can look at Joseph and go, that, that's so true. God had this plan for Joseph. He was different. He gave him these dreams. And, and I think all of us, to some extent, we read that verse, something resonates with us. To think that God knew us before we were born. That he set us apart to do something. To do something great. And that gives us purpose. That gives us, like, man, we have, we have purpose. And then life happens, kind of like it did with Joseph, right? And we end up someplace different than where we thought we would end up. And here's where Joseph ends up in Genesis 39. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. 
Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. So that's where Joseph lands. He gets sold by his brothers. It's better than dead, but now he, he's a slave. He's literally owned by somebody. But the beauty of Joseph's story is as we read this story, he's not, well, at least he doesn't seem to be crying about it or throwing a fit and demanding that he be returned because he's this important son of, of Jacob's. He never blames God for his troubles. God seems to be with him even in Potiphar's house. And as far as we can tell, he's not hateful towards his brothers. He's not full of anger towards his brothers. In fact, Joseph rises to the top, even in the most adverse situation. He becomes the head of all the slaves. And I guess if you're a slave, that's the place to be, right? Well, why not be the best slave? And, and that's the approach that Joseph takes. And so you can look at this and you can go, okay, okay, there's something special about Joseph. It, we all have setbacks, don't we? I mean, we feel like, man, we wanted to go here. We had these dreams and then, man, life happens and we're over here. And, and just get this, this setback didn't change the way God viewed Joseph. And it didn't change the way Joseph viewed himself. Yet how often in our lives, when we have these dreams, these ambitions, and man, life happens and we end up someplace else, it we feel like, man, this isn't where I wanted to be. And we, our view on things change. And the truth is, God's view of you hasn't changed. His plans for you haven't changed. And so we, our views of ourselves shouldn't change, right? But we should still be dreamers, even if we have these setbacks. Joseph's is way bigger than ours. Joseph was going to be a king, right? Everyone's going to bow to him, and now he's a slave. So what does he do? He becomes the best slave that he can be. And this is what sets Joseph apart from his brothers and his family. Again, I want to read to you Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I believe God has done that with every single one of us. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the things that we can learn just reading it. We thank you for this line of people that led to our Savior, Jesus. And I also thank you that we can read this and learn from their lives. And I just pray that you would help us to do that and just remind us that you knew us before we were even born and you loved us. We pray this in your name. Amen.